Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 17. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 17. We'll get to that text in a moment. Here we go. The greatest stories understand that drama does not have to be a reinvented wheel. One of the earliest epics of all time was about a man leading an army of men with dwarves, some elves, and a few hobbits against wicked orcs, always dressed for Halloween, and an eye obsessed with an object that contained limitless power. And during this saga, the hero is mentored by a father figure with supernatural abilities, and in the midst of spinning his heart in battle, he gave his heart to a woman. Meanwhile, the community of Rivendell has no idea that a war for the soul of the world is at stake. Epics reemerged in the 90s with technological advances, but the narrative was similar. A man who looks like he never ages was leading an army of people against vehement machines obsessed with an object that contained limitless power. And during this saga, the hero is mentored by a father figure with seemingly supernatural abilities. And in the midst of spinning his heart in battle, he gives his heart to a woman. Meanwhile, the community of the Matrix has no idea that a war for the soul of the world is at stake. Also, the hero dies and he rises again. Epics regained popularity in the early 21st century with the story of a boy leading an army of boys and girls and good wizards from a Hogwarts school that looks like its tuition is $1 million a year. They fight against evil wizards led by the most evil wizard, obsessed with an object that contained limitless power. During this saga, the hero is mentored by a father figure with supernatural abilities. In the midst of spinning his heart in battle, he gives his heart to a girl. Meanwhile, the community of non-magic folk muggles has no idea that a war for the soul of the world is at stake. Oh, and the hero dies and he rises again. Every great story is the same. The only thing that has changed is the evolution of mid-century wizards to computer wizards to modern-day wizards, and an object of limitless power evolving from a ring to a computer to a wand. All the while, no one knows a war for the soul of the world is at stake except for a brave few. But this narrative did not start with a few inklings from England a few centuries ago. The Bible is the historical story of the Son of Man leading an army of godly people against wicked forces led by a wicked angel obsessed with the power of an eternal throne he can never have. And during this saga, the Son of Man is discipled by the Heavenly Father with supernatural abilities, and in the midst of spending his heart in battle, he gives his heart to his bride, the church. Meanwhile, the community of finite humans with infinite souls has no idea that a war for the soul of the world is at stake, except for a brave few. Owen, he dies, and he rises again. As Tim Keller has said, The story of Jesus is not another fairy tale. It is the reality to which all the fairy tales point. But we Christians can be guilty. For we find it easier to give our affection and money and fandom to believe and make believe. But we can take issue with what the Bible says to believe. For example, we believe in the goodness of Jesus. Yet we do not believe the goodness of this Jesus would allow the badness of a devil to roam. So we do not believe in a devil. 
Further proving the old adage, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he does not exist. But a Christian cannot be a Christian without believing the unbelievable, such as a real God and a real devil battling for souls in real time and space. This leads us to our text, Acts 19, 11 through 17. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so, and the evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to both all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, rightfully so, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, rightfully so. This is the real, gritty Bible. Ephesus had seen evil people do supernatural things. They had never seen a person of God do supernatural things. But here arrives the Apostle Paul. His words bring revelation to minds. His handkerchiefs bring healing to bodies. But when this Apostle worked supernatural miracles, it did not result in evil spirits going into people, but coming out of people. And in any business, there are copycats that look for right methods without taking time to develop the right convictions. Christianity was no different. Ephesus was no different. As exorcists began to adopt the apostles' methods for casting out evil, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. But for these seven sons of Sceva, trying to remove an evil spirit from a person, this demon rebuttals, Jesus I know, Paul I know, who are you? This means hell has the most wanted list, but that's another sermon. The demon beat up these men who used the name of Jesus without knowing Jesus. They did not advance heaven. They were being advanced against by hell because their relationship to Jesus was someone else's relationship to Jesus. With heaven battling against hell for the soul of our world, we must ask ourselves, is our relationship to Jesus someone else's relationship to Jesus? To discern this answer, we're going to investigate three aspects affecting our soul. Number one, Is someone else's devotional life being substituted for your own devotion? Number two, do we substitute real friendships for temporary acquaintances? And number three, is someone else's responsibility being substituted for our own responsibility? Would you pray with me as we get into this message, which at the end will give you a chance to respond to God? Jesus, would you help us? Would you help us to be real, to self-initiate with you, to be sincere with you? When it comes to matters of devotion, may it be more than a time, may it be a life. When it comes to matter of people, may we have community, not just acquaintances. And when we come to responsibility, Lord Jesus, may we certainly not applaud it or watch it or criticize it, but be in it. Help us, O oh God, with scales falling off our eyes, with hearts becoming softened, Do something with us and in us. In Jesus' name we pray. When I went to university, I went as a kinesiology major, which is a fancy term for studying athletic training. 
And I did this to avoid the writing of personal essays as well as to avoid my nemesis of biology class. But my foresight failed me because you cannot learn to train the body without biology class. My fail-safe was finding a professor who appointed the learning of truth in group work instead of individual assignments, praise the Lord. But our professor was no fool. And when it became time for the group to present the truth that they have learned, the illegitimacy of our group work began to surface. The professor would call on me, Alex, can you tell me what the truth that you learned means? Well, no, professor, that wasn't my assignment. I was working on something else. That was Jacob. He worked on that. Ask Jacob. Jacob, can you tell me what the truth that you learned means? No, professor, I can't do that. That wasn't my responsibility in the group. That was Isaac. Ask Isaac. Isaac, can you tell me the truth what you learned means? Actually, professor, I can't do that. I can present my part, but that wasn't my part. That was Abraham's. Ask Abraham. Our professor quickly realized that an individual's knowledge of truth was three degrees removed from actually knowing the truth. So she passed the person that knew the answers and failed the people that did not while moving every test thereafter from collective effort to personal individual essay, believing full well that anything other than a first degree knowledge of truth is no knowledge at all. And if we study the history of Israel's spiritual life, we discover this is how their devotion to God failed, resulting in the bondage of Egypt. God was Abraham's God, but to the next generation, he was the God of Abraham and Isaac. And to the next generation, he was the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is radically different than saying God is my God and eerily similar to saying the Jesus whom Paul preaches. The end result was a few Moseses who had climbed mountains of fire to be with God and too many Israelites who had created idols with their own hands because someone else's devotion to God was a substitute for their own devotion to God. This is the recipe for failure. We cannot let someone else's devotional life be a substitute for our own devotion. Jesus has commissioned, go out and make disciples. Jesus has promised, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus has connected. If we do not spend extravagant time having real devotion to Jesus, we will not make disciples like he has commissioned. So hear me carefully. The pastor's devotional life regurgitated to me in a 30-minute monologue from a Sunday morning pulpit does not replace my own devotion with Jesus. If I only read the Bible when the text goes on a screen, if I only reason with God when the preacher asks a question, if I only worship when the band starts playing, only to cease worship when the band stops playing, if I only take thoughts captive to Jesus at an altar, only to leave Jesus at this same altar, my devotional life is someone else's devotional life. I'm not advancing heaven. I am being advanced against by hell. No, I may not be committing sin, but yes, I am omitting daily devotion with Jesus, impeding revelation that leads to repentance, that leads to responsibility, that leads to others having revelation of Jesus, that leads to others repenting before Jesus, that leads to others being responsible for Jesus. The most terrifying thing for demons is for Christians to behave like there is a God who will draw near if you do. So the application is simple. Abide in Jesus. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Ask until we receive him. Seek until we find him. Knock until God opens the door. Someone else's devotional life cannot be a substitute for my own devotion. We must, I must, spend extravagant time 
with Jesus. Likewise, we have to discern. Do we substitute real friendships for temporary acquaintances? My oldest friendship began in elementary school. I met this friend at a sleepover, which is the boy version of a slumber party. There we would bond over our love for the World Wrestling Federation while discussing who had a crush on who at school because this was 1992. This friendship continued in the middle school. We shared a few classes together and would bond over our love for the rapper known as Eminem while discussing who had the most clever AOL instant messenger screen name because this was 1998. This friendship made it to high school where we shared homeroom together and would bond over our love for Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man <laughs> while discussing what song we would download later, later from Napster because this was 2004. This friendship made it to university. We shared a dorm together and we would bond over being the only 18-year-olds not to smoke, although we legally could, and trying to figure out how to use this new texting service on our Motorola Razor phone that everyone else had because this was 2005. In college, I met Jesus, and because when you love Jesus, you introduce people to him, I invited this old friend to come to small group, and he came. And I would talk about Jesus in small group, and I would share my thoughts about who Jesus was with him outside of small group. He would hang out with the rest of the group. We all played together. We all laughed together. We would all cry together while this friend observed. He would buy some of the good Christian books that we all talked about. He would listen to some of the powerful Christian sermons that we would listen to. He would even have good thoughts to say in these engaging Christian discussions. He was around Christians. Christians were around him. But then one spring break, he went to Mexico, and he never came back. At this time, we no longer lived together. I went to his apartment for our habitual hangout. His roommate tells me that he left. His bed is there. His furniture is not moved. A few shirts are missing from his closet, among many more that stayed. I call him up. He won't answer. I text him. He won't respond, but he is a friend since elementary school. So I call his house line. His mom picks up. I say I'm coming over. I drive to meet him. I ask why he left without saying goodbye. He says he did not want to go back to college. I ask, why wouldn't you tell your friends goodbye? He says he did not think about it. I said, we've been friends since we were kids. He implies the friendship served its purpose. I said, I don't know that friendship has a time limit. I asked, what about the small group? He said, that's not his thing. I said, God spoke to you. I heard his truth from your voice in tangible, real sentences. He said, you're supposed to have something to say in small groups, so I did. I said, the Bible has, says God has a plan for your life. He says, I don't want to live by a plan. I said, I don't appreciate how after all this time you just left. He says, I'm sorry. I just didn't want to do college anymore. I leave his house. I would still call, but he would not answer. I would still text, but he would not respond. I would reach out on Facebook, but he would not reach back. Meanwhile, I cannot deny a lifetime of memories. And certainly there were seasons where community was real, but with such an abrupt end, I have wondered, he was my friend, but was I only his acquaintance? As we look at the broader community of Chi Alpha, this same story happens over and over and over. It's the same scenario with different characters. Do we let real friendships be substituted for temporary acquaintances? 
Do we consume community that someone else creates? Do we take honor without giving it? Do we encourage transparency while not being transparent ourselves? Do we hear confession of sin without admitting our own? Do we value personal feelings more than someone else's future? Do we amen truth without believing truth? Do we look the part of Christian without having Christ be a part of us? James says to confess sins and pray for each other so that we may be healed. The Apostle Paul says to carry each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus says, love one another. No greater love than laying down one's life for a friend. Real Christian friendship then involves this mutual responsibility, mutual understanding and purpose and forgiveness and unselfishness. But too often, Christian lifestyles are merely conformity lasting a season instead of conviction lasting a lifetime. The culprit is we have never honestly met with God. We've never honestly met with each other. We've never honestly met ourselves. And when real friendship becomes substituted for temporary acquaintances, as soon as the opportunity to be a part of this community is gone, we are gone. This is when godly books that collect dust are traded in to collect money. This is when tongues reveal that they were trained but they were never tamed. This is when I will pray about it and it's proved to be rhetoric that was never reality. This is when the ends of the earth become out of sight and out of mind. This is when the gospel becomes forgotten when church involvement becomes fringe, and when Jesus is revealed to not be someone's friend, savior, bridegroom, or king, just an accessory to be used as desired. And when this happens, we're not advancing heaven. We're being advanced against by hell. And there may be three reasons that we let real friendships become substituted for temporary acquaintances. For one, we believe if you never have to love, You never have to lose. But we forget the rebuttal of Mr. C.S. Lewis that the only place to be free from heartache is in a casket. But in that casket, undisturbed by real friendships, our hearts will grow old and cold as we turn into something less than what we were meant to be. For two, we don't believe we have anything to offer. So we don't offer ourselves to this community. But we forget the rebuttal of Genesis 1. We were made in the image of God. This means every individual is a finite expression of the infinite God. You show this world something of God that no one has ever seen before, nor will anyone see after you're gone because he's infinite. To lose you then is to lose a revelation of Jesus that only you can bring. That means walking with God is serious business. For three We do not believe anyone who claims allegiance to heaven may love us if they know just how dark and wicked and evil our soul is. But we forget the rebuttal of Romans 5, 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If there is nothing that we did to earn the love of God, then there is nothing that we can do to earn the love of God's people. And the application is still simple. Honestly meet God, honestly meet each other, and honestly meet yourself. We cannot substitute Real friendship for temporary acquaintances. Likewise, someone else's responsibility cannot be a substitute for our own responsibility. When I first joined Sam Houston State Chi Alpha, we were reaching about 250 students for Jesus. By the time I was a junior, we were reaching 500 students for Jesus. 
for two years in a row, and this, this was considered the largest Chi Alpha in the nation. But our pastors operated with this conviction that good enough is not good enough, and the belief that making disciples with the clause of all nations must mean that we must always find a way to reach more. So when they began to examine why this Chi Alpha was stagnant, the reason it was easy for irresponsibility to be hidden in the audience of 500 students. A small group leader who found, fed, and fought for zero could go unnoticed amongst their more responsible peers who found, fed, and fought for many. So how do you resolve this dilemma? They decided to split the largest Chi Alpha in the nation into three separate groups operating independently on different nights with different staffs and different student leaders. The belief was, if it's easy to be irresponsible in a group of 500, it's much more noticeable to be irresponsible in a group of 100, and shame is just as much a motivator as glory. When our first leadership retreat ended and this change was announced, the campus pastor responsible for our group, Jason Bell, took all of the leaders of our group to the Chi Alpha house. He asked 20 small group leaders to sit down in the front row of the house. The venue held about 200 seats. He asked us to look behind us to the 180 empty seats around. And after a minute of silence that lasted eternity, Jason spoke. If you do not go out and make disciples, every night will feel as empty as this one. It was then that the weight of responsibility fell on our shoulders. If we do nothing, then nothing will change. Chi Alpha had already experienced its glory years at Sam Houston. Heroes had come and gone, but that was yesterday. And all that was left to change the world from Huntsville, Texas, was us. Someone else's responsibility cannot be a substitute for our responsibility. When this happens, churches regress, movements die, souls are not one, we're not advancing heaven, we're being advanced against by hell, and this is where biblical illiteracy can get the best of us. We trust it's better to wait for audible words and visual visions than to obey the Bible's actual verses. Jesus has already prophesied in Matthew 24, this gospel must be preached to the ends of the earth as a witness, and then the end will come. The heroes of the Bible have already demonstrated they were on mission because they assumed making disciples was a default green light. And if audible words and visual visions did have to be sent, it was to redirect their efforts, not to begin them. This is where spirituality without sobriety can get the best of us. We tell people that we have to pray about going on mission trips to destinations, but vacations to these same destinations require no divinity, just credit cards. All the while, Isaiah the prophet, without knowing budgets or time frames or locations, simply says, send me and I will go. This is where calling can get the best of us. The Bible word being used in the modern day has one meaning then, which has not changed now. It simply means invited. It's not that mystical. God is going to make disciples of all nations. You're invited to go with him. Jesus will be confessed by every tribe and every tongue. You're invited to introduce him. This is where family gets the best of us. As I rock my daughter to sleep, I sing to Jesus with my mouth and I look at her bedsheets with my eyes, a picture of a small plane traveling across the world. And I ask, can I really let the Lord take her to the ends of the earth for his name? 
I've waited seven years for this little girl, battling all kinds of unanswered prayers and infertility. I have wept for her. She is our dream come true. I must soak up all the time I can, for life is too short. Bringing her into this world was too hard. She is my daughter, not yours, King Jesus. And in the silence, Jesus whispers back, how is it that people are happy to have the gospel at the cost of my family? But no one wants to share the gospel at the cost of their family. All the while, Jesus preaches in Matthew 10, love your family, love your enemies, love your neighbor. But if you love family more than me, you're unworthy of me. Meaning God is God and we are not. God is God and family is not. And this is where the devil gets the best of us. Because we insist we must feel like it before we're responsible to God, believing that we have to be true to ourselves Forgetting all the while, Jesus says if we want to follow him, we actually have to deny ourselves. Self-denial, not self-fulfillment, is the secret to a Christian's happy life. I hope this is clear. It's not the director's job to grow Chi Alpha. It's not the staff's job to grow Chi Alpha. It's not the small group leader's job to grow Chi Alpha. It is everyone's job to grow Chi Alpha. But to advance heaven... Our relationship to Jesus cannot be someone else's relationship to Jesus. And as we throw off sin that we love more than Jesus, and wait that we think about more than Jesus, we discover that Jesus is simply asking us to do what he has done and is doing. Jesus did not let anyone be a substitute for his own devotion, our community, our responsibility. He grew in wisdom and stature. He memorized the law and the prophets. Now he prays for us day and night at the right hand of the Father. Jesus has his own devotional life. Jesus went out and found the disciples. He took them fishing and hunting and hiking. He was transparent and vulnerable. Jesus first called them friends. He built real community. Jesus did not delegate the atonement. He grabbed a cross with joy. He drank the cup of suffering so we could drink the cup of life. He took the punishment of our sin so we can enjoy his freedom. He rose himself from the grave to help us get to God. Jesus did not run away from responsibility. And when we have real devotion and real community and real responsibility, when we have these three anchors, we do not have someone else's Jesus we have him personally. This does not result in being beaten up by like seven sons of Sceva. It does result in demons knowing Jesus and Paul and you. Do you want to be dangerous for God? Do not let someone else's Jesus be a substitute for your own relationship with Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite the band to come back up, and they're going to lead us in worship, and we're going to give everyone a chance to respond to the Lord, not up front here. We want to be as safe in this pandemic as possible, encouraging you to respond in your seats, but also to respond out in this lobby, which is way more vast, be it personally or grab a friend, a small group member, a small group leader, a resource leader, whatever you call it, a staff member, and tell them what you need help with. Three aspects to the sermon tonight. Three aspects of what we believe the Lord is asking us to do tonight. Do you, are we letting someone else's devotion be a substitute for our own? Do books collect dust 
Is prayer reserved for prayer meetings? Do we worship Jesus only when bands start and stop playing? Do we need to have more extravagant time with Jesus? One way to interpret John 15 is to simply say, abide or die. I think that's a fair exposition. And if that's you tonight, then get right with God by saying, Jesus, you promise if I ask for you, I'll receive you. If I seek you, I'll find you. If I knock, the door will be open. So I am asking and I'm seeking and I'm knocking. Give me you, Jesus. And for some of us, we love to hear confessions of sin, but we're not going to confess our own. We encourage transparency, but we're not going to be transparent ourselves. We think that we can be a part of this community while also hiding within this community, and it's not going to work. We have to be real with one another. And if that's you, I would encourage you to grab a friend, to grab your small group, and just be real. These people love you. And if there's nothing that we did to earn the love of God, if Christ loved us while we were sinners, and we're supposed to be imitators of God and live a life of love like Ephesians 5.1 says, then we must love each other, not simply because of each other, but in spite of each other. And according to James, that means confess your sins and pray for each other so you may be healed, which means if I'm trying to hide myself, I will never have victory. But if I can have a collective effort of people bringing my name before the throne room of God, I can have victory. And for others of us, we're waiting for that audible voice and that visual vision, neglecting the Bible's actual verses, go out and make disciples of all nations, be witnesses to the ends of the earth. This gospel must be preached as a witness to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. Present people perfect in Christ Jesus. These things that you have heard from me, the presence of many witnesses, and trust the faithful people who will be able to teach others also. Love one another. No greater love than this than to lay down one's life for a friend. We know what to do. We just want to use spirituality to camouflage our, camouflage our selfishness so we don't have to do it. And that's not going to work. Let's be real in our responsibility starting tonight. If you're a small group leader, that means you need to go back to campus to find, feed, and fight for one more. Because the reality is even with Chi Alpha on campus, 98% of those campus students are still unsaved. And if you're a small group member who's just waiting for God to call you to be a small group leader, please read Matthew chapter 28 again. Read Acts 1 again. Read Colossians 1 again. Read 2 Timothy 2.2 again. Read John 15, John 13, John 14 again. What Jesus does in you, he wants to do through you. Does that make sense? You with me? So that's the challenge tonight. That we would get right with God by having a real devotion and a real community and a real responsibility. Some of us need one more than the other, but ultimately we gotta have all three because if one of these anchors dies, the entire ship will sink with it inevitably. So I'm gonna encourage you to pray at your seats. I'm gonna encourage you to pray in the lobby. I encourage you to get right with the Lord and I'll lead us in prayer and you're open to respond. Jesus, would you be with us, God? Would you give us a real devotion that exists well beyond conferences and meetings, that exists in pure isolation where religion is most proved? Lord Jesus, would you give us a community that doesn't, 
a spirit that doesn't just consume community but creates it where it's not that we'd make friends that we discover friends Jesus by being transparent by being vulnerable by being honest by being unselfish by being forgiving and Lord God would you help us to be responsible Lord your cross is very scary allowing you to put your finger anywhere in our life and in our heart and in our plans and in our will that's terrifying but following you is only scary to the degree that we don't know you so Jesus as we ask for more responsibility we pray that you would give us more revelation of the goodness and the mercy and the justice and the holiness the holiness the holiness of God that this otherness of Christ would lead us to more of you to repentance to revelation to responsibility would you help us Jesus we need your presence that makes prophets repent and angels sing in Jesus name let me pray for you gracious God we thank you for tonight God that things have been sealed in our hearts that trajectories have been changed tonight King Jesus God as we hail your name as we shout your magnificent praises God we say that you are the only one that is worthy to be worshipped so God I pray that we would look back on tonight on this Saturday night at Salt, we would say that chains have been broken. God, that we would say that addictions have been stopped. That we may walk into the promises of God wholeheartedly with our brothers and sisters at our side. God, give us the courage to share in confession with our brothers and sisters. Give us the courage to be vulnerable with one another so that we may foster intimacy in our own Caiaphas and amongst the community of God that as we know each other, that we would know you better in your infinite wisdom and your infinite love, King Jesus. So God, we love you. We look forward to everything you have in store for us tonight. God, we know that the night is young. That you are not done. That you'll be with us in the morning as we finish. That you will be with us on our campuses as we add more to your kingdom this semester. In the strong name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.